you're listening to a new episode of Empathy Always Wins. Guys, I am so excited. Um, Today we are with the editor-in-chief of one of the best tier A magazines and business outlets in the Middle East and North Africa. That is ArabianBusiness.com. We've got Scott Armstrong in the house. Woo! Um, A little bit about, you know, where we're taking the direction of this podcast, Empathy Always Wins, uh, as well as Scott. I mean... I did uh, say that last time we're putting this show on on a hiatus um, and pausing it, but the reality is that, you know, the response has been, no, keep it at least once a month. So we're going to be doing that. We're going to be doing that. And we're going to be making sure that for now, we release all the episodes that have been a little bit, you know, uh, staying with us for the past month or two. And now we're going to be taking it as once a month with new guests across the world talking about mental health and leadership but for today we have scott and scott is sort of one of the people that we had at our events empowering minds in um capital club in dubai with had consultants and uh, one thing that i'm very excited to be sharing uh with us including with scott um perhaps even after the episode is that we are releasing the first ever mental health and entrepreneurship report with wamda had consultants and microsoft for startups and we're really excited to see sort of how COVID has impacted the lives of entrepreneurs in the region. But with Scott, we'll take a little bit of an approach around well-being in the workplace. And honestly, guys, I can't wait. I really can't wait to talk to Scott and share the conversation with you because it's going to be a lovely one. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys. If you haven't yet rated the show on Apple Podcasts, please feel free to go do that. It really helps put the show out and about, especially when it comes to the charts and especially when it comes to making sure that mental health gets the attention it deserves. If you really care about this content, please help support the show and help support the cause. For now, let's hop into a new episode of Empathy Always Wins exclusively everywhere on all streaming platforms. Guys, I feel like I've become a little bit more of radio sort of tone, but I've never worked in radio. Podcasting is really cool. So let's tune into a new episode with the one and only Scott Armstrong. Thank you, Scott, for joining uh, Empathy Always Wins. It's always a pleasure having uh, people, renowned people such as yourself who actually have depth and can talk about the landscape with pretty much accuracy when it comes to data, when it comes to, um, you know, uh, foreseeing or forecasting where we're at, but, you know, taking a little bit of a step backwards, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, who you are, and uh, uh, for our audience that perhaps may not know uh, who Scott Armstrong is? As a flattering introduction, I think the, the most depth I've got is my waistline at the minute, mate, that's what I have to say. Um, yeah, so I'm Editor-in-Chief of Arabian Business, um, which is one of the leading business platforms um, in the region. We have website, we have social, we have magazines. Um, I've been a journalist for about 32 years, went into journalism when I was 16 years old, never been to university, uh, learned everything um, in the workplace. Um, seen a lot of changes, lived in four or five different countries, worked, been in the Gulf for about 12 years and worked in Saudi, worked in Oman, I've been in Qatar, I've been in um, Dubai and Abu Dhabi, so a reasonable, reasonable amount of time in the Gulf. Um, with Arabian Business and what kind of how we got introduced, Ali, we launched a, a, res- a dedicated resilience channel because we could see 
particularly after last year, you know, the business community um, suffering, the business community having challenges, and obviously communities are made up of people and human beings. Um, and we wanted to do something that could be, you know, a positive contribution in that space, rather than, you know, traditionally media tends to stand on the sidelines and get clicks from the misery. Um, but we are part of the business community here, so we wanted to try and get some material out to the community that people could use and maybe we would help them and potentially get some inspiring stories out there. Um, and it's it's had a great reaction, um, so I'm, I'm pleased we decided to take that step. Yeah, I think um, one thing definitely I wanted to highlight was, uh, you know, in our conversation today was, I mean, COVID changed everything from, you know, the perspective of well-being, the, 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 the attention on resilience and, and, and the workplace well-being. How have you seen perhaps uh, the change, the before and after? And, and, and are you seeing, because I know that probably uh, you do go to the office, are you seeing that uh, dynamic from the work from home uh, sort of come uh, into a reality? Like, are you seeing people changing from the work from home into the in, 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 into coming to work? Are, are you seeing people more open about uh, or more empathetic towards one? Like, how has that changed uh, yeah. that COVID presented? Oh, I, well, I, I'm seeing it a lot across different industries. I mean, very recently, Arabian Business did a future of work forum. We had all sorts of, uh, you know, kind of employment specialists, futurists, uh, mental health practitioners, um, even, you know, academics talking about where they think that the future of work is going. Um, there is a lot of money betting on a blended model. There are a lot of companies that have um, brought people back into the office um, I, I, I think what's got the logic behind some of the companies that bring their employees back is they're trying to reset, shall we say, bring the team together and reset. But there's an open and active conversation about blended work models in almost every workplace. And it doesn't feel like it's something that's going away. We, you know, here in the Arabian business, we talk about it all the time. We write stories about it all the time. And as a business, we talk about how we evolve that conversation. Um, and I don't think, uh, we had a really good speaker, um, well, two good speakers at our future work, Nancy Gleason from NYU Abu Dhabi and, and Solvig, who was, an, who was also an academic. And they were saying, companies are not going to get this right out of the bat, you know, straight out, um, because nobody's ever gone through coronavirus, then nobody's ever returned from such a prolonged period of work from home. So I think you're going to see evolution over the next year. I mean, if you look, I think even today, Apple has moved from saying that people are going to be working from home all the time to now moving to a blended work model where they're going to have three work from home, uh, three work in the office days. And then I think Wednesdays and Fridays at Apple are work from home days. You know, um, you see Google and Twitter, Twitter has said there'll never be any need for the people to come back. I think Google have said, well, for about six months and then we'll look at it. Um, so we're in a, a real period of evolution, um, which, you know, 
coronavirus has been an accelerant for so many different aspects you know whether it be about the conversation about mental health whether our own attitudes to our own mental health and our colleagues mental health or indeed just on a macro scale what does it actually mean for employment offices workplaces moving forward so i i don't think that genie is going back in the box but i think the response will differ from company to company um because obviously different industries also have different needs. You know, not everybody can work from home. You know, you, not, you surgeons can't work from home yet. Your airline uh, <laughs> stewards can't work from home and the pilots can't work from home. So, uh, but there is a much bigger conversation happening, you know, both in the region and globally. Um, and I think it's, it's a healthy conversation. I'd like it to... The thing we need to do is just keep the conversation going rather than slip back into default behaviours because I think there's a massive opportunity here to refine and tweak the working model. Um, and as long as we're open and alive to it, and I'm looking where I work for a management that is open, alive to it, um, then you know, then we can keep moving forward with this conversation. But we can't let it slip. Yeah. For managers, for people that are graduating and for uh, a common uh, common fear or a common pain point that us, uh, uh, the, the younger generation that's graduating to, into the workplace, we always are scared of, um, you know, will I have the experience to, uh, or, or will I be qualified enough to, uh, to, to work in a place where I don't have that contact with my manager. And, 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 and I wanted to perhaps ask you a question around uh, employees' mental well-being. Are you seeing that uh, working from home is proving to be uh, an effective model from the career development standpoint of uh, of employees at, at, at the workplace? Are you seeing that uh, they're getting the exposure? Because one thing that I'm perhaps uh, being told quite often is the office dynamics and getting that chance to, you know, meet uh, John at the end of the corridor, have that one-on-one yeah. -on -one chat. With, uh, this is something that makes a lot of young, younger folks scared um, working at new jobs at big companies where, uh, the, you know, Otherwise, they would have liked to, you know, be those social butterflies. And, and you know how work is, you know, you make your next promotion or your next, uh, you know, position by just mingling mainly by by being yourself. I think a lot of people are, are not getting that chance. How would how are companies dealing with it? And how, like, what would your uh, core take be on, on that? Well, there's definitely anxiety out there. I wouldn't say it is uh, the, the sole currency of young people, though I understand why young people feel that. I think it, it's all the way up. We did a big survey with um, Booper Global at Arabian Business, and that was targeted at women. And women very much uh, responded in that survey saying that they felt that their careers were damaged by being away from the office and not having the face time. Um, and that is a, a, a challenge that is inherent in the future of work and offices do and you know, companies do need to to deal with that um there's a lot of work going on in how you keep teams connected and supported 
remotely, um, which is why I think many people are, you know, an advocate for the blended model, you know, the flexibility to bring the team together and have that social discourse, to have that connection, to, uh, to, to brainstorm, for a better word, when people can throw ideas backwards and forwards, um, and then have the time to kind of step away from the noise and the chaos of open plan officers to then focus on tasks. Um, but yeah, definitely there is anxiety uh, in many sectors, uh, work from home. And, the, and there are different perspectives on it as well, because you'll find a lot of parents and you know, boomers and Gen Xers my age uh, who have, you know, have, have young children actually welcomed the, the lockdown, actually welcomed the, the, the chance to work from home and also spend, even if it's, you know, the five minutes that you would spend to the cooler talking to John, you're spending five minutes talking to also my daughter and looking at the pictures she's drawn. So, um, you know, there are swings and roundabouts depending on where, you know, where you are at in, you know, both your personal and your, pro- your professional lives. Um, but yeah, it is, it, it's definitely a challenge. Um, there are, uh, there's a great guy called Andy Fieldhats who does, a lot of, he's a best-selling author of a book called Getting Teamwork Right uh, and he's very much advocate for the fact that you can't just do uh, like office work meeting after meeting after meeting on Zoom and that sort of thing there has to be a social element there has to be an element of support um, and again another thing that came out of the survey that we did um, was that Lots of people said when their companies offered them help to work from home, they offered them desks and chairs. They didn't offer them tips for working effectively online. They didn't offer them mental health or support. And actually, they wanted that and the chairs and the desks not so much. You know, it's that age-old need where, where, where when companies go, oh, we, you know, we're going to buy you a you know, what can we do to improve your mental health? Well, hire more staff and pay us more. No, 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 no. We were thinking more about pool tables and yoga. You know, um, <laughs> it's a, it, it, yeah, and, and, and that same sort of human need has translated into the work from home. And we're sort of fortunate in this part of the world, certainly fortunate in the UEE, where we do have the opportunity to embrace that flexibility or indeed return to the office and have that, you know, that, that, that dynamic return because of the safety and the, the great response that the UE's put in. You, you still look back to the UK, you're just coming out of lockdowns. And that's still, you know, everybody's still working from home. Even here, there's, there's, there's different speeds as well. You know, in Abu Dhabi, many people are still working from home. They're actually very, very keen to get back to the office. Yeah. And at the same time, as well as the family people, coronavirus and the pandemic was the time when lots of introverts actually got the opportunity to shine because that's the other challenge of, of any kind of office or team is that the, in an office, you know, if you're loud and you're sociable or you're young and you that sort of thing, that's a great environment. But if you're an introvert and you're shy um you might be incredibly intelligent. You might have an incredible contribution to make to the business, but you might feel left out because that's just not the way you're wired. Um, and whether it's remote working or live working, one of the challenges that we face as organizations moving forward is to try and create you know, teams which are families, teams which are psychologically safe places where people can be themselves and contribute equally and explore 
how they want to contribute. They go down paths, make mistakes, decide that that path's not for them, so move to another path. Um, and that, as managers and as team leaders and as coaches and as guides, that's what's our responsibility to our teams is to try and create those spaces, whether it be down a Zoom, you know, on a Zoom call, or whether it be in the in the office environment. I think if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I think I think you led you, you you really paved that way to my next question was how do we ensure that we create? Sorry, I've got a sore throat. So I'm just going to take a sip of coffee. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, <laughs> How do we create those psychologically safe families at work that could uh, 10x our experience, our results, our our dynamics? And like, as a leader, as a, as a manager such as yourself, uh, perhaps that's that's more of a leadership or a personal take on that question. If, if you may, how do you make sure that you hire the the right people, or like, uh, how do you know uh, in this specific environment in Corona, you in, what 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 do you look for? And who are you not looking for? Um, I'm, I'm looking for energy, passion, human beings. I'm looking for human beings, shall we say, rather than roles and unboxing. Because you can take an individual and train them skills, um, but it's the person and their outlook and their desire to deliver that's um, sometimes most attractive. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, you can see leadership change. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, I was, you know, I've been in work since I was 16 years old, okay? I'm now 48 and really old. Um, and it's definitely been an evolving journey for me as, um, as, a, as a manager, going from an expectation that I must be a leader that knows everything and must lead from the front and must know everything and can never be wrong. Um, to a coach who actually recognizes that his team are the people that they're the guys who run the field of play. It's them that score the goals. And actually, my only job is to try and enable them to do their best work and as be as happy as they can be in that work and as passionate and as empowered because actually then... I, I look really good because they do a really good job. You know, it's, it, it, and, and that's the thing for companies and there's so much research around this place, like doing the right thing and treating people right and empowering them just delivers to the bottom line. It makes clear 100% business sense. You know, I, I spoke, I did an interview with a guy called Sir Ian Cheshire, really, really smart guy back in the UK. And he's now the chairman of something called the Global Business collaboration for better mental health in the workplace a little mouthful but they've got the likes of hsbc uh deloitte and touche salesforce uh, companies with about a million uh employees more than a million employees around the world um and they make this really good case uh, and they ask companies to sign a pledge on how they will help their employees with their mental health and they make a really good case he said a really good thing which was you know we have gone from a manufacturing digging roads economy to a knowledge economy. So every company's engine of output is this, or it's what's inside your head, Ali. Um, and to get the best out of that, you, know, you, you, you wouldn't treat a machine that was your engine of output, you would maintain it, you would oil it, you would make sure it was working. The robots on the, uh, you know, on the assembly plants that, make the cars 
have entire teams that make sure that they are you know operating at one hundred percent efficiency. Mm-hmm. And as a global business community, we need to get better at looking after our engines of output because without our people, we're nothing. You know, we we fail. So. There is a growing voice, and that that's, that gives me optimism. There is there is more recognition of this, but we've had the same hierarchical business model and you know, leadership model probably since uh, Henry Ford took over. Certainly since the you know, the end of the Second World War, it's almost like a Victorian Mill um, hierarchical <laughs> management system, um, and it, and that's beginning to change, and uh, and it needs to, and it's and it's great, and we're not going to get there overnight. Um, but I think coronavirus has really shone a light on this. That you know, because I think a lot of companies have also recognised that without their employees, their achievers, their you know their families, uh, you know within their staff, um, they wouldn't have come through coronavirus and come out the other side still in business. Yeah, I think I think I think. Have you seen any? trends or any reportings i know you've mentioned quite a lot in this in this uh, brief chat we're having but uh arabian business and, and mental health uh, what are you seeing what data what what, what what behavior from companies when it comes to spending are you seeing uh, what, what different trends are happening are you seeing in our not enough yet not enough i'm seeing a lot of research i'm seeing a lot of reports i'm seeing a lot of companies beginning to talk about it. And I'm seeing a lot of practitioners, you know, um, it, it's amazing actually how much work there is out there that's not being surfaced. Um, and that's kind of why we launched the Arabian Business Resilience Channel in the first place, is to try and surface yeah. some of this research and surface some of these voices. Yeah. If only to let people know, you know, if you're struggling, you're not alone, because let's face it, there isn't any of us that haven't been there. You know, I've talked quite openly about toxic workplaces and having been bullied in the past and how, you know, how that's changed and shaped me over the time. There isn't a single human being out there that isn't vulnerable. And, you know, the person that tells you they are are a liar. Um, But there is still a long way to go on this. Um, Coronavirus has put it, you know, front and centre. But I think there is still a a very long way to go. Um, There's not enough advice. There's not enough insight. There's not enough knowledge, um, you know, out in the public arena. There are not enough places where people can talk about this. Um, There's not enough removal of the stigma of mental health within workplaces or indeed societies around the world. Um, But at least we're on a path. We weren't on a path and now we are on a path Um, and we're moving faster down that path than we ever have done. The pace of that journey can seem frustrating, but at least we're on the journey at the moment. If you were to choose one way or or if you had one decision to make or one initiative to take to try to combat that challenge and make make perhaps your team at Arabian... um, uh, at Arabian business a lot safer what what intervention or what preventions or what what initiative would you just take at a click of a second I well, I think the first step is listening you know and that, and that is it just the ability to listen and the ability to be human a human being and again I, you know I'm not preaching from the for, you know, from the mountainside my journey in this space has been shaped by 
mistakes and being the subject of bad leadership. So I, I, I imagine in the past I've been equally guilty of being a poor leader as I learned on the way. Um, I think one good step as well would be to build in uh, emotional intelligence and empathy into performance reviews for managers, for people in leadership roles. Because what tends to happen, and I've, I've been through that same journey, is that when, when, you, get, when you get promoted at work, you, you generally, the first thing you have to do is learn how to complete the, the, the more advanced task. How to meet, you know, how to meet the more advanced responsibility that you now have, whether that be in a target or whether that be a more complicated project or a more complicated, uh, you know, pro product to get out into the marketplace. Um, and, and very often, there's little leadership coaching of any sort trained. You're not taught how to be a leader. You're taught how to do the more advanced job to make sure that the car comes off the manufacturing plant. I mean, if I talk up my, you know, in my sphere of media, you know, I started out as a journalist, I started out as a writer and a reporter, and then finally went on to the news desk of a newspaper. Um, and then your first task is to then try and figure out how to put a newspaper together. What should be on page one? What should be on page three? What should be on page five? What's good enough to be on page one? What's good enough? What should be in the opinion pages? That's what you try and figure out. No one's teaching you how to get the best out of the team. And ultimately, if that came first, the second part, the, the part of delivering the more complicated job gets easier because they're empowered to deliver the best work. So you have more choice and more flexibility and your bottom line improves again so I, I think it's building in and teaching empathy emotional intelligence um into leadership positions uh you know teaching people how to coach that would be the first thing um and the second thing is just active listening uh, which you know I'm an interrupter. My wife will tell you an, an, an interrupter. <laughs> so 48 years into this journey, that is still, you know, I'm still a very much a work in progress on that in active listening. But sometimes, and you can tell by this podcast, <laughs> you just got to learn, you know, learn to shut up and let somebody else speak and then listen. Because what we do tend to do so much is, um, and I, I worked in a previous job uh, with Hill and Knowlton, and they have this thing called suspend your agenda, which is we tend to, when someone's speaking, you're just waiting for them to finish so you can say what you had pre-planned to say. You're not listening and reacting to what they're saying in the moment. You walked into it with an agenda, into the conversation, into the meeting, into the presentation, with an agenda. And, and you sometimes, you don't listen uh, to the person that you're talking to when they're going, actually, I want to go in a different path. And you'll be like, well, no, you, you shouldn't go on that different path because I got this pre-planned path for you. Uh, <laughs> rather than going, well, tell me why. Why do you want to go down that different path? Uh, and so it, it, active listening and, you know, Ali, you're all about empathy and you're all about emotional intelligence. Um, I think... Millennials, and you know, what gives me hope as well is that I think younger people are coming out into the work, work, you know, into the workplace, expecting more empathy. You know, I am from a generation that was brought up 
in the hierarchical um, top-down stick uh, management structure. Um, and, you know, eventually people like me will get so old that we'll move on and out of the business and people coming up in the business. You know, I think emotional intelligence and evolution is an evolving place and eventually workplaces will get better. I don't, I don't think this current structure can continue. And I think the opportunity for the companies that embrace it earlier is that, you know, we've got, we're going to have a world that's coming out of coronavirus. We're going to have a world whose economy is going to snap back into growth. We're going to get back into a a talent market. Now, the good companies um, that recognize this and have moved um, to look after their staff will, will retain their talent and attract talent. And the companies that don't will lose talent and therefore they'll be punished again on the bottom line by the market mm. god i talk a lot no 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 i i i couldn't uh, i mean as you're talking and as you're saying all those uh very 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 important points i i'm thinking about the difficult conversations that many uh, you know you mentioned active listening and, and you mentioned uh, coaching and, and actually coaches or leaders being coached and being having that constant development process and I couldn't, I couldn't echo that more uh, myself because I feel that um, a lot of younger people are having it uh, a little bit different when they want to have difficult conversations with their managers or with people who lead them. There isn't that open space yet. And I think given what you've said with especially active listening, um, this this will automatically happen. I think this is, as you said, it's a it's a work in progress. We're getting there. But having uh, having your voice on the show today was absolutely great from the from the standpoint of at least giving those younger folks like myself um, a hope that at least uh, when I say you and us, it's it's kind of the generational difference that you uh, yeah. are at that psychological level, understanding where we're at, because I think having rapport between two generations now uh, working together that are vastly different. I think that's, what's going to create success when we're able to understand one another and when we're able to adapt to one another's needs. So um, Scott, I couldn't thank you enough for coming on today. Thank you so much. Yeah, very welcome. Uh, love the way you're doing Ali and keep banging the drum for empathy. I say one final thing as well, you know, the social media has lots of things to answer for. But one of the things that social media is doing is that, you know, from a business perspective, we see authenticity and honesty cut through more. So if you're trying to reach audiences, if you're trying to communicate at all, honesty and authenticity cuts through every single time. People, you know, the days of people trying to be the perfect version of themselves. <laughs> um, I think, you know, we see this. And if you if you follow me on LinkedIn, I, I, you know, I take the mickey, you know, I am the butt of most of my jokes. Um, <laughs> and, and they are poor dad jokes, to say the least. Um, but uh, honesty and authenticity is really translating. And along may that, long may that do so because then that again society it becomes the norm that we can be vulnerable that we can talk about the challenging times and then you know, it's often you raise something even in a social media page you'll have so many people go i thought it was just me no it's not you're not alone actually or you know, every generation and every person have had the same issues yeah 
Scott, this was an hour. I'll shut up. <laughs> no, no, this is absolutely an amazing conversation. Thank you so much. I wish many more people in your seat or having uh, those uh, the positions that you have could could come out and 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 speak. I think as honestly as you have today. So um, very grateful to to have our our our, our friendship and uh, let's let let let's keep pushing the needle forward. Let's do that. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This was Scott Armstrong, ladies and gents. Uh, how authenticity and vulnerability are translating in the 21st century business world. Guys, um, it's very, 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 I find it very interesting when I listen to, to those episodes and conversations back and I realized that, wow, COVID did change a lot. You know, you're no longer gonna get around with BS excuses, with with a BS boss that doesn't really, you know what I mean? Like, we just have to be real because results need to be um, achieved. Um, our feelings need to be validated. Our struggles need to be, you know, addressed. And we need to manage all that. Like, how are we gonna do that when, you know, someone's being a bully in a time where everyone is feeling uh, you know, a little bit tight, right? We're human beings, and I really like how Scott really mentioned that. Um, guys, if you have any questions, any comments, any concerns, any inquiries, any guests you want to have on, on this monthly show, do let me know. I'd love to host um, great people with interesting, insightful, different stories. So do shoot a message my way via LinkedIn if you're listening to this podcast. I'm Ali Salama on LinkedIn. I really want to be able to make sure that we keep something so genuine, super tailored to our workplace environment and something that gives hope to anyone that's out there feeling like they're lost at their desk, not feeling quite that they're at their place where they work struggling a little bit with their career or struggling to keep boundaries with their bosses or colleagues because work and life aren't really getting you know a best balance for them this show is going to be for this individual and for people that want to develop higher levels of emotional intelligence and higher levels of empathy my name is ali salama and thank you so much for joining empathy always wins today and every month we're going to be making this show come to life so tune in for more episodes hit that subscribe button tell your friends share this episode with someone and definitely let scott know how you feel because scott is an incredible person thank you so much for your time and we'll see you exclusively on empathy always wins everywhere you can get your podcasts let's stay tuned and in life and in business empathy always Heck, it always wins.